Thanks for checking out the Awaken Church podcast. Awaken Church messages are brought to you by our generous givers and partners. You can learn more about the vision or give financially to support the work God is doing here at Awaken by visiting our website, awakenchurch.cc. If you can't make one of our weekly worship services, you can always watch online by going to our website and clicking on the Watch tab. And now, wherever you're joining us from, thanks for listening, and we hope this message encourages you. Tell you what, they, they told me when we planted a church in Charleston that uh, people wouldn't come in the summertime. Y'all didn't get the memo, did you? Look around, man. Praise God. You made it to church today. There's some uh, less holy people that are waiting in traffic on Folly Beach right now. And uh, if you're tuning in, we're glad you dialed into church. Hey, uh, this, God is at work in our church. We've got almost 250 kids coming to Adventure Week this week. And I believe with all my heart, I believe with all my heart that some of them are going to meet Jesus for the very first time. And uh, we got kids loading up on a charter bus going to camp. Not kids, students, I'm sorry, middle and high school students. Uh, I believe the same is going to happen up at North Greenville University at Fuge Camp this week as well. And uh, the reality is, I believe this morning as we celebrate those who are being baptized and we celebrate their stories, uh, that God might speak to you in a special way today. And uh, you may have come in today to uh, celebrate with those that are being baptized and your world might get changed forever today. So uh, I just want to say thank you for being at church. Thank you for making church a priority. Uh, I believe when God's people gather together, special things happen. Amen? Acts chapter 16 is where we're going to be today. We've been in a series called Plus One, um, where we're looking at how God wants to use everyday average people like me, like you, uh, to change people's lives, Uh, to think outside of ourselves to the other people that we interact with in our day-to-day lives, our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends, uh, maybe our spouse or our kids. Uh, but to have a, an, another perspective, another person perspective, who else can we bring into what God's doing? And today I want to talk out of Acts 16 because we have two men uh, who are on mission with God that encounter incredible difficulty, but God uses it in a powerful way. Acts chapter 16, verse 16, let's read together. Now one day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. And she followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God and they have come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly the demon left her. Now her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and they dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted at the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. So a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. And they were severely beaten And then they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Let's pray together. God, I pray in these short moments that we have together that you would use your word to penetrate the hearts in this room. 
God, I pray that you would use this story to bring deliverance to individuals in the room, to bring healing to situations in the room, to bring salvation to those who don't yet know you. And God, I pray that you would just speak through me in these moments, that I would just be a mouthpiece, and that your spirit would go forth and do the work that you want to see done in this room and beyond. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Have you ever been in a situation where you felt like you were doing everything right, but everything seemed to be going wrong? Uh, Have you ever been in a situation where you felt like you were living for God, but things were just still going wrong? You ever been there before? You make a decision, I'm going to follow you, God, and life's going to be good, and then life just hits you in the face. Um, I remember back when I was in college, 21 years old, and started following Jesus, started taking faith seriously. And uh, I was at the College of Charleston downtown, would drive to school, and like many of you, I would park, uh, not illegally, I just wouldn't pay the parking meter. You ever done that? Our most beautiful, beloved city, they like to charge us a lot of money. And uh, back then, they didn't do the debit cards, so it was just change, and um, I sometimes made myself feel better because I didn't have change. The reality is I just wasn't going to pay that thing. And so every now and then, I would get tickets, uh, and when I get a parking ticket, I would just throw it away casually and think to myself, they'll never get me, right? I start taking faith seriously. I start walking with Jesus. I started interning at a church. This was the, the fall of my junior year. And so I would go to class, got out of class, I'd get in my car and I'd drive and I would give my life to, to ministry. I was trying to learn how to, um, I was working at the time in a high school ministry and I was trying to figure out how I could get better at following Jesus. I was reading the Bible. I was going to church. I was tithing my money. I was doing everything that I knew to do. And one day I come out of class and I walk across St. Philip Street, downtown College of Charleston, and I look across the street at my Dodge Neon. And this is what I see. That. Is there anybody else in here that's ever had one of those? Can you give me some support real quick? Look look at this amazing, all right? For those of you who don't know, you law-abiding citizens. That's a parking boot, all right? They're hard to get off. Not impossible. I didn't remove it, by the way. Y'all are like, this is terrible. (laughs) I saw it, and I was like, I have no hope right now. I actually called uh, my girlfriend, who's now my wife, Ashley. Uh, Babe, I got a problem, because on the window, it, and this is for the whole public to see, by the way. It's humiliation. On the window is a big sticker that said how much I owed. Still remember it, $760. I was in college, y'all. So I go to the bank, get the money out, go down to Leeds or Lockwood Avenue, and I pay the the fine, and I get my car back. And I'm like, okay, Lord, thank you. You got me through that one. I had enough money in the account. Y'all, the next week, no lie, I walk out of class, look across the street. That thing is back on my car. And I was like, I already paid that. Can't wait to talk to this cop because he's wrong. And I was a Christian, but I was prideful. And I was like, "They they messed up. And as I get closer, I look at the the sticker on the window. And this boot is from the College of Charleston Police Department. I didn't even know they were separate police department. And they got me lit with fines. And so I had to get more money out and pay for this boot to come off. And I remember thinking to myself, God, listen, I'm doing everything right. I'm living for you. Why is this stuff happening? Right? And it's obviously consequences of behavior before I actually started following him, but I was frustrated. I was mad. God, why would you let this happen? And, and the truth is, and what I want to talk about today, is that sometimes in life, 
we can easily start to believe that just because we're following Jesus, life is not going to get difficult, that we aren't going to encounter hard things. And while that's a parking boot and it's a light story, uh, the, the truth is some of you in the room, some of us in the room have navigated some really hard things, even as we've been following Christ. Like sometimes life just gets dark and depressing and discouraging and lonely and we hit some, some incredibly difficult things and we can easily become disillusioned. But I believe this story that we're looking at today gives us a, a couple perspectives that if we'll just take hold of them, when life hits us in the face, maybe the outcome will be a little different. So if you're taking notes, uh, the title of this particular sermon is a plus one perspective. And the first thing I want you to write down, and I think you'll, you'll come back to this later on in life, it's this. It's that God often uses adversity to create an opportunity. God often uses adversity in our life to create an opportunity where he can move. Paul and Silas in this story, they're, they're, it's an interesting one for me because they're on a mission trip. And I've been on mission trips. Some of you have been on mission trips. My life, I consider a mission trip for the last 18 years, giving my life to Jesus, walking faithfully with him. And... And plant a church, that's a mission, right? Like, and, and I think about it, and sometimes we go, well, if I go on mission, everything's going to be great. These guys are on mission. They're taking the gospel all over the place. And as they're walking, this, this girl starts following them. And nothing the girl says is wrong. She's just yelling out, hey! I thought about, like, how could I get a female up here to just yell this really annoying, right? Not going to do that. Hey, they're servants of the Most High God, and, and they're going to tell you how to be saved. Now, at face value, it's like, why not use her as a mouthpiece? Right? Like, she's saying the right thing. These are servants of God. They are going to share the gospel and tell people how to be saved. The problem with it is just annoying. <laughs> There's no other way to spin it. Paul's going into a city, and what Paul typically would do, Paul and Silas, they would go into a city they would find a house, because there wasn't like a big church, they would find a house, and they would start building a relationship, and then eventually share the gospel. So they, they leveraged relationship to eventually share the gospel with people. Well, this girl just yelling behind them, she's essentially blowing their cover. This is, this is the equivalent of like the person on the side of the street with the sign, turn and burn, right? You're like, ah, that's annoying. That's not a real good method, right? And, and so Paul's walking and this girl's screaming. And so Paul eventually says exasperated. Basically, he's annoyed. He turns around. He's like, stop. Leave her alone. He speaks to the demon inside of this girl. And the demon flees from her body. The problem with this is she was being used. Notice she was a slave. She was being used for profit by her masters to make money. So when Paul called this demon out of the girl... Her masters got upset because this demon was also being used to tell people's fortunes and make a lot of money. I, I want us to know today, this is just a side note, that um, where the spirit of the God is, where the spirit of God is, there's freedom. And our God is a God of freedom and doesn't want to see anybody oppressed or enslaved. And this demonic spirit's enslaving this girl. And so when she's released, when she's released in this moment, her masters get mad because they can't use her anymore. So they get frustrated, their wealth is gone, so they drag them in front of the city officials and say, these guys are teaching something that's illegal for Roman citizens. In Rome, politics and religion were interwoven, right? So this is a threat to their livelihood, a threat to their belief, and so they say what they're teaching is illegal, and Paul and Silas are beaten almost to death and then thrown into prison, 
and not just prison, but there were three layers to the Roman prison. The first was, I want you to think about it like a temporary holding cell, then like a 30-day holding cell, and then death row, right? The, the first layer to this prison was like, you still got sunlight, you still got air. It was probably an open air environment, but you're incarcerated. Second layer, you're behind bars, you're in a room, like you're in an inner chamber. Third layer, which is where Paul and Silas get tossed, is called a dungeon or telanium. They essentially were stuck in the basement, their feet put in stocks, and it's death row. That's where Paul and Silas find themselves. Literally worst case scenario. Now, I don't, I don't know every story in this room. I don't know every story watching online, but here's what I know. It's very possible that there's people listening right now and, and you're experiencing what may be your worst case scenario. It's possible for you to be sitting in church. Now, I'm not asking for a raise of hands, but it's possible to come into a church building with a smile on your face, but you have an adult child that you haven't talked to in years. They're just rebelling, and you don't know what to do about it. It's possible to be sitting in this room right now, and you've got a, a medical condition or a diagnosis that's terminal, and no one knows about it. Or maybe you've just experienced a miscarriage, and no one knows about it. You won't talk about it. Or you've got an addiction that you're afraid to even bring up because of the implications that it might cause in your life. Or maybe you're navigating through a divorce or a separation or financial distress or debt. The reality is, y'all, life is tough. And oftentimes it can feel like, hey, this is, this is dark and this is alone and this is discouraging. That's exactly where Paul and Silas are. But I want us to notice something. Even in their dark and despair, they have each other and they're together. Y'all, there's power in doing life together, amen? That's one of the values, I think one of the greatest values of the church. Yes, the value of the church to come together to, to, to worship vertically and obviously to, to hear the word of God. But it's more than that. Like the ecclesia, the early church that we see in the book of Acts is togetherness, having other people, having relationships. So if you're here at Awaken Church and you don't have relationships, allow us to put you into one. Because when life hits us, it's a whole lot better if we got other people with us. Right? And Paul and Silas are together in prison, and as they're together, look at what happens, verse 25. And this is where God's using adversity for opportunity, verse 25. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Quick question. Last time you experienced a great difficulty, is that what you did? Last time life hit you in the face and you got bad news, or you had a fight with your spouse, or your kid bucked up on you and rebelled, like, did you start praying? Did you start praising? Typically, that's not our first response, right? Paul and Silas, around midnight, darkest point, probably in their life up to this point, they're praying, they're singing hymns to God, and all the other prisoners are listening. Then suddenly, verse 26, there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations and all the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Now the jailer, by the way, y'all, jail was happy at that point, amen? It's like, we good, we free. The jailer woke up, verse 27, to see the prison doors wide open and he assumed the prisoners had escaped. So he drew his sword to kill himself. Here's why. In that moment, 
Uh, all the doors fly open, all the chains come off. You can imagine guys are starting maybe to escape. They're starting to realize what's happening. And hey, look, we're about to break up out of this place. And the jailer, the, if, if you were a Roman jailer and you were in charge of all the prisoners, if you let a prisoner escape, you as the jailer had to serve their sentence, right? So imagine a guy's locked up and he's got 10 years in jail. Well, that guy escapes. Someone's got to pay his crime. And so what the Roman law would do would put that jailer in his position, and he would, he would walk out the 10 years in jail. So you can imagine in this moment, the jailer's got everybody breaking free, and he just believes to himself, hey, look, if, if, if this is happening right now, and I gotta cover all these guys' sentences, I'd, I'd rather just not be here, right? Because I got guys on death row that are escaping. My life's over. So he pulls his sword, and he's about to take his life. In verse 28, Paul shouts to him, hey, stop. Don't kill yourself. We're all here. And the jailer called for lights, and he ran to the dungeon, and he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas, and then he brought them out, and I want you to look at the question that he asked. He said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Adversity, God uses adversity to create opportunity. Can I just, here's a reminder For those of us that are followers of Jesus, if you're here and you would say, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a Christian, Jesus made us a promise. And this is one of the promises that he made. In John 16, 33, he said, on earth, so in this life, you will have many trials and sorrows. It's a promise. You will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Right, so as as, as a Christian, it doesn't mean you just walk through life and everything's gonna be great. No, it means you walk through life It's still going to be hard at times, but we have hope in someone who's overcome everything that we're going to navigate through. That's the hope of Christianity. His brother James said this. Look what James had to say in James 1, 2. When troubles of any kind come your way, consider it what? An opportunity for great joy. It's counter to what the world teaches, right? It's like when when I, this is the perspective mindset. In other words, when I go through difficult times, when you go through difficult times, we have a choice to make. We can choose how we're going to view what it is that we're navigating through, right? Like when we go through hard times, James says, it's an opportunity for what? Great joy. Why? Because people are watching. You know the testimony that you give off in your hardest time will speak so much louder than when you give off in your greatest time. Y'all, when life is good, when life is good, it makes sense to put a smile on your face, right? Like if life is good and you're not smiling, you got a problem. But life is bad and you're smiling, people are like, you got a problem. You're crazy. How can you smile in the hospital room when that's the diagnosis? Who are you praying to in the waiting room when all hope seems lost in the room? How in the world do you get up and go to church and lift your hands and sing when your kids are rebelling the way that they are? How in the world do you continue to tithe when, when I know the debts that you have or you lost your job, you, you follow me? Like whenever you're, you're faithful in difficulty, it makes no sense to a world that's wondering, Paul and Silas, y'all, they're in prison. It's dark, lonely, it's depressing, it's discouraging, and these men are singing and they are praying and God responds to their faith in that moment. When we bring God into our situations, it's an opportunity for whatever we're going through it's an opportunity for God to really show off and get glory through what it is that we're dealing with. But you have to invite him in. Notice that. 
When we pray, when we praise, it's bringing God into our situations. Yes, he's already aware that it's taken place, but when you pray and offer him a place in it and you ask for him to respond, that's when he actually gets glory through whatever your story is. The jailer runs to Paul and Silas. He gets lights. He runs in there and he's looking around going, okay, they all stayed. And then he asks a question that I believe is the, it really is the root question I think almost everybody is asking, and that's this. What do I need to do to be saved? Now in church, we can easily go, that's a spiritual question, right? He's asking, how do I, how can I be saved? Yo, that wasn't a spiritual question that he's asking. This is a physical question. He's not asking something spiritual right here. This is physical. How can I save my life, right? Because in this moment, again, contextually, put yourself in in the prison. In this moment, y'all, the prisoners are essentially free. It's chaos. Paul says, we're all here. Don't worry. He's expecting everybody to run, and he doesn't want to die. He's in a physical situation, and he asks a question out of desperation. And the second thing I want you to write down is this. When people are desperate, when people are desperate, they need direction. They need direction. You go, what does that mean? Paul and Silas, this is what they say back to him. What do I need to do to be saved? They say, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. Wait a minute, how in the world does that save his life, right? Like, that's a spiritual response to a physical question. Believe in Jesus and you'll be saved. They saw deeper than just the physical question. He was in a desperate situation and they used it, God used that to speak into his spiritual condition. Can I just tell you that everybody that we encounter today, when I look at culture today and I look at the media and I look at news and I hear what's, you know, some of the concerns coming toward the church or out of the church, y'all, we live in a desperate society. People are desperate. You go, well, how do you, how do you, how do you know people are desperate? Just look at what's being asked or look at what's being said. For instance, the questions of our day, right? What about sexuality? What do I I hitch my wagon to in terms of my identity? What's my pronoun? What about homosexuality? What about divorce? What about addiction? What about power? What about politics? What about race? Like all these things that fly out, these are desperate questions based on people's physical condition. We have to look beyond the physical and answer the spiritual. What they're really saying is, what's my purpose? What's my worth? Where's my identity? Who am I? Why on earth am I here? Why did God create me? Is there a God? Listen, Paul says, look, believe in Jesus and you'll be saved. And you would say, well, that's simplistic. Like the answer to everything's not Jesus. I would say you start with Jesus and you get to everything else. But, it, but if, you try to, if you try to go to everything else, you could miss Jesus altogether. Let me give you an example. Hey, what, what's the Bible say? Here's a, what's the Bible say about uh, gender identity? Can I, can I offer you an answer real quick? Follow me as I follow Jesus, and let's look at it together. Because he's got a lot to say about it. But if your response is, well, here's what the Bible says, there's a good chance they never start following Jesus with you. But you've got to be willing to invite them into a relationship rather than just pitch an argument where you're right. Right? What, what's, 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 what's the Bible have to say about alcohol? And drinking. Well... I, I can tell you what the Bible has to say, but hey, follow me as I follow Jesus. 
let's look at that together. Let's see what the Bible has to say about how we live and how we pursue holiness and sanctification. Listen, you invite people on a journey to follow Jesus, all the other stuff eventually gets addressed and taken care of itself. But if you try to fix people before you invite them into a relationship with Jesus, you could miss it all together. Paul and Silas, look at this man. And they could have said, hey, what does it take for me to be saved? Well, they could have answered the physical and the physical. All right, track, track with me real quick. They could have said, well, you're going to need to lock all these prisoners back up. We'll tell them to stay, but you're going to need to lock all these cells back up, right, and, and restore order here. Or they could have said, well, you grew up a Roman citizen, and Romans and Jews don't really like each other, and if, if you're actually going to be a Christian, then you somehow have to, have to address your position because you work for the Roman government, and that's not going to work out for you being a Christian. They could have tried to fix this man before they ever invited him in a relationship with Jesus, but they say, look, believe in Jesus and you will be saved. Y'all, Jesus is enough. The gospel is enough. And we would do really well as, as the church, not just Awaken, but Big C Church, to stop stamping all these other conditions on what it means to follow Jesus. They say, believe in Jesus and you'll be saved, which the jailer had questions. What does that mean? What, is, what does it mean? And look at what happens. Look at what happens. They shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. And Luke tells us this. This is an important line. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and he washed their wounds. I was reading this and I was wondering, why in the world would that be in there? Like, keep in mind, the book of Acts records all the major moments of the early church, the actions of the early church. I mean, we have everything from, you know, Acts chapter one, we have the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost, Acts chapter two, sermon with thousands saved, end of Acts chapter two, the home groups being made all over the community, people being cared for, like we have miracles, we have signs, we have wonders, we have all kinds of stuff happening in Acts. But Luke decides, hey, this little line right here is important, that even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Y'all, Luke was a doctor. Luke was a physician. Luke was not one of the original disciples of Jesus. This was a man who most probably lived in Jerusalem, most probably gave his life to Jesus at one of the early sermons of Peter or in one of the house churches. And as a physician, as a doctor, a successful doctor, went on these mission trips with Paul and Silas. And so as he sits down to write the book of Acts, Luke found it fascinating that in the wee hours of the morning, this jailer would have brought Paul and Silas into his home and that he would have cared for them and washed their wounds. The third principle I want us to remember is this. Saved people are changed people. Saved people are changed people. When God gets a hold of your life and you experience salvation, you are changed. You are different. You are not the same person. Can you imagine this jailer for a minute? As I told you earlier, retired military, posted up at this prison, and y'all, he dealt with some rough people. So this is not, you know, this dude ain't getting manicures. If you do that, I'm not, I'm not mad at you. But he, he ain't getting manicures before he goes to work, okay? He's not wearing a three-piece suit. This dude is a retired military standing outpost at this prison dealing with some rough guys. And I imagine this was a pretty rough guy, this jailer. 
Like I believe he was a tough dude and I believe he was hardened by the, the, the culture that he grew up in and even the job that he now carried out. But on this night, something was different because he came face to face with the end of his life and he was humbled in a moment and he surrendered his life to Jesus. Can you imagine him coming home? It's the middle of the night, so his wife and his kids are asleep. Servants are probably asleep. But he, he comes home and he, and, he, and he opens the door of his house. And he's in the kitchen and he's finagling. He's getting a, a basin tub and he's, you know, maybe sent a servant for water. Or somehow got water himself. And he's pouring this basin and there's ruckus in the living room. And I imagine his wife wakes up, lights the lamp. And you know what? Looks in, maybe doesn't ask any questions because he's got two guys beaten half to death sitting in his living room, right, that she's never seen before. Like, he's brought work home, you know what I'm saying? And, and they're sitting in his living room, and she sees her, her rough, tough husband. Maybe the kids wake up and see their dad, you know, and maybe they see a side of their dad they've never seen before. And he's in the living room, and, and he's got these two guys set up, and he's, he's got a tub, and he's, and he's literally carrying and washing their wounds. Y'all, this is exactly what Jesus did at the Lord's Supper. And he's taking care of these men that previously, he's the one that he put in stocks and threw them in the dungeon. This is a different man than, left, than what left that house and went to work that day. Daddy was different. And what I want us to see is that when we encounter the gospel, when we come face to face with what God has done with us, that God looked on us in our sin, every single one of us, and he didn't condemn us. He loved us. And he said, I'm going to send my son Jesus to die on the cross for their sins. And Jesus is going to hang on the cross and say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. And then that same God invites us into a relationship with him. When we come face to face with what God did for us, it changes us from the inside out. And our behaviors have to follow. What that means is if before Jesus you know, you're drinking way too much and you're cussing way too much and you got anger problems. When you surrender your life to Jesus and recognize the weight of the gospel, you're a different person, right? The anger starts to subside. The drinking starts to lighten up. The addictions that you had are no more. We cannot afford, hear me on this, we cannot afford to claim a salvation without repentance. When you are saved, you're changed. And if you're here today or you're listening online and you would go, I'm not changed, I've got to ask, are you saved? Because this man was different. He went home a different man that night. They, he cared for them and he washed their wounds. And then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. Y'all, he brought Paul and Silas from death row, and he put him at the dinner table. And he's having a conversation with these guys. And, 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 and they're telling the whole family about who Jesus is. They're, they're telling stories about what Jesus has done. They're, they're teaching the letters that Paul would eventually write. Like, he's informing them of the gospel. And, and I just imagine this guy's wife and his kids watching, and they go, man, dad's saved, dad's changed. This is the power that God has. We want the same thing, and they all get baptized. Y'all, the last thing I want us to see is that faith, when we embrace faith, we leave a legacy. Faith leaves a legacy in our lives. And, and as, a, as a church, listen, we, we have the opportunity to create legacy here. 
Like if you're here today and you're, let's say you're a young 20 something, I've talked about marriage and kids, but let's say you're 23 years old and you're listening right now. You know that if, that if you actually embrace Jesus and you start following him, you get to change not only your own life, but the lives of the ones that will follow you, your future wife, your future kids, your future grandkids. If you're a parent right now, man, if you just embrace Jesus and start following his mission for your life, your kids will look different. Your grandkids will look different. We're going to have baptisms today. Some of the stories of baptism are parents baptizing their kids. What are we doing? We're talking about legacy. We're talking about legacy, generations being changed. That's what we get to be a part of, church. I think about this jailer right here. He goes down, right? They finish eating and they go down to the water. And he looks at Paul and Silas. Again, the same men that he locked up, same day. And they walk him into the water. They baptize this man and bring him out. I imagine the first person he sees is his wife. And he's, he's dripping wet. She's baptized too. Kids baptized too. The whole house gets baptized. Yo, this is a house that's changed for Jesus. Can I just tell you, that's the mission of the church. What we want to see happen is households changed for Jesus. Generations changed for Jesus. Because what happens with me doesn't stop with me. What happens with me goes on to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. That's the promise of salvation. Would you bow your heads right now? Close your eyes. Everybody in the room, I'm gonna invite you not to look around. What we see in this story is a man who was changed and then he brought about change for his home. No doubt his community, God used him in a mighty way. And maybe you're here today and what you would say is, you know what, I've, I've had an experience with Jesus. I would call myself a Christian, but I, I haven't seen that level of impact or that level of change in my life. And I, I wanna dedicate myself to God in such a way that he uses me in a mighty way. Maybe you're a dad listening right now. And you would say, man, I wanna lead my home in a better way. I wanna, I wanna pray with my wife. I wanna talk to my kids about Jesus. I wanna be more faithful bringing them to church. Maybe your mom here today, and maybe you just gave up praying for the house. And today you would say, no, God's calling me to continue to pray to that end, to pray that he, he gets a hold of my, my husband and my kids' hearts. Maybe your kid today, a young 20-something, a teenager, and you go, no, no, no I, wanna, I wanna leave a legacy where people come to know Jesus because of me. Listen, if you're here today and you would say, I, I want to leave a legacy of change, would you just lift your hand? You go, I want God to use me in a mighty way. Come on, I see hands flying up all around this room. I want God to use me and work powerfully through me. God, right now, there are hands lifted up indicating that these are individuals that feel like, God, they're recommitting. They're up in their commitment. They're up in their dedication to you right now. So God, I pray you would show them how to do that. Maybe they latch into a small group or start serving on a team. Maybe they uh, make a decision to get baptized today as their next step of faith. Or maybe it's just committing to pray every single day. God, whatever it is, every hand that's gone up, I pray that you would continue to pull them close. And you would grant their desire to be used in a mighty way for your namesake. And as we continue praying in the room and online, maybe you're here today and you would say, I, I need to be changed. Like, all oh, this is good, but I, ultimately, I need to be changed. I, I need salvation. I need a relationship with Jesus today. 
Today I need to start new. Today I need to give my life to Jesus. If that's you, I'm gonna ask you lift your hand right now. Say, today I wanna give my life to Jesus. Today I wanna begin a relationship with him. God, I pray in these moments that as we celebrate decisions being made in your church, we celebrate responses of salvation, responses of rededication, that God, you would continue to work and move in and through this service. And God, as we celebrate baptisms in just a moment, God, I pray that you would get all the praise and all the glory for these stories because you alone can change a person. You alone are the one that saves. So God, we praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, can I get somebody in the church to celebrate decisions being made today? Amen.